Well, it's good to be here this morning. Isn't it? Wow, y'all still sleeping? It's ten o'clock. Y'all not get breakfast this morning? Yeah. So, oh, y'all had a breakfast here with your mother. So, what a joy for that. Amen. You got fed. Got to spend time with mom. She might be saying, "I wish they wouldn't had it." I don't know, but uh, we're here anyhow. And I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Appreciate Brother Caleb. I, I told Brother Leader back there, I was like, man, he works with the young people, right? He works with the smaller ones, right? I was like, I never have worked with the younger kids in my life in ministry. And I was like, I probably should have. And uh, I'm not as animated as him. I mean, even his character, he's got a character for his face on Facebook. That's how animated he is. <laughs> and so, but what a blessing, though, that... Um, we can come in simplicity and be ourselves, Brother Caleb, and I enjoy that, and uh, I admire that, and thank you. It touched my heart this morning as um, the Bible teaches, suffer little children, come unto me, and uh, I want to see children know the Lord, and I want to see mom and daddies come to know the Lord. That's the most important thing in this world is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ reaching to thy sinful estate of mankind and drawing us by cords of love and mercy unto his salvation. And what a blessing it is just to be saved this morning and just to be serving him. Hallelujah. So if I'm not as animated and as funny as he is, I'm sorry. And, but I just do my best, okay? All right? So if you'll take your Bible out and turn to the book of 1 John... The book of 1 John, that's going to be after 2 Peter, before the Revelation, back of your Bible, and uh, I will do my best to be as quick as I can. I'm going to take my scriptures in reverse order this morning. That kind of gets us messed up, doesn't it? I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. 1 John chapter number 2 in your Bible. You got your place there. Raise your hand for me and wave it in the air. All right, I got about a quarter of the crowd. Some of you are behind. Keep doing it so I know. I don't want to leave you behind. You know, that's the military. No man left behind, right? All right, I got about three-quarter now. I'm about 80%. Come on, a couple of you. All right, we're close enough. You're left. 1 John chapter number 2 this morning, verse number 1 and verse number 2. The Bible says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for our own, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you for your word this morning. We pray that you would help us to convey the truths that you've placed in our heart this morning. God, that we would be ourselves. God, that we would uh, be subservient to you and your leadership. That we'd be obedient. That we'd be your mouthpiece to proclaim the truths of your word. And I need your help this morning. Lord, I just don't want to pass the time in religious jargon, but God, I desire to deliver your word by 
your strength and by your help under the edification of believers, but God under the salvation of those who may not know you this morning. I pray, endue us with strength, clothe us in the cloak of our calling and help us, I pray. Oh Lord, with your supernatural strength, we'll thank you for it and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, take these scriptures backwards this morning. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but I think it'll be all right. Remember the book of 1 John. John the Beloved is doing something very particular in his writing. Okay? So in his writing, when you begin to look at it, you're going to find the word know over and over and over again. You're going to find the word love over and over and over again. And you're going to find the word sin over and over and over again. Important words. In the first chapter, you find four times the word fellowship, and he's setting the stage for the rest of the book. Okay? But in his book, you'll know there's going to be some contrasts that come into place. So God, uh, through inspiring John to write, is taking and drawing a line down the center, if you will. Y'all got that? So if I was to part this row right here and divide you that way, which way you want to go? Hurry up. Okay? If he's dividing people into two parties in his book, he's dividing them to saved and lost. Okay? That's what's happening in his book. You'll find the contrast in this. He talks about darkness and light. Talks about truth and error. He talks about Christ and Antichrist. He talks about the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of Christ, how these are contrasting on opposite sides of each other, and he's dividing individuals by his book. In his book, you find that John has a desire not to destroy individuals, but his desire is this, that an individual will come to know Christ, but not only come to know Christ, but they would know that they know Christ and how that they know that they know Christ. God gives us a salvation, not of a hope so, maybe so, but of a know so you have experienced and it is a reality in your life because you are ever learning about the Lord. His nature has come within you, that incorruptible seed in the book of 1 John. Now, there's three identifiable tests. Anybody, we're in school right today. How many of you love tests? Anybody? Yes. What grade are you in? What grade are you in? First? How many tests do they get a week in first grade? <laughs> there's three tests in the book of First John that every individual must pass. There is a moral test found in the book of 1 John, that we can have this litmus test of our life based upon our behavior, whether it's becoming of the character of Christ or not, to show whether you are saved or not. There's the doctrinal test that's found in the book of 1 John that declares who Christ is, Christology. If you don't believe right about Jesus, you cannot be saved. Okay? And then there's none of that. There's a social test found in the book of 1 John that deals with our behavior toward one another, that we love the brethren. 
there is no love for the brethren, no love for the church, then an individual cannot be saved. So John is giving these three tests and he's identifying the contrast between those who are saved and those who are lost. But in the midst of it all, John wants you to be saved and John wants you to enjoy your relationship to God and have fullness of joy in Christ. That's his desire in writing this book. So I had to say all that because I believe it's important to what we're preaching. Now, we know this morning that man fell into sin. There's not an individual in this room that has not sinned. Okay? That, that is a fact. Now, we know as a lost sinner, we're in a fallen estate, living in the failures of our sinful nature and are considered, according to the Bible, as the enemies of God. That we are polar opposites. We're on different teams and we're not on the same page. We're fighting against one another. Right? Got that? So it's like you got the Redskins over here and the Cowboys over here. Indians and Cowboys didn't get along. Okay? I hope that, that, that hits home. Y'all, anybody kids, kids, y'all play Cowboys and Indians deal? Or is that considered, you know, to be racist or something now? <laughs> We played it when I was growing up. I was the Indian a lot. I had an older brother. Many wonder, though, how can I ever overcome sin? How can I ever deal with this condemnation or, or this judgment or, or, or the penalty uh, or the discipline, if you will, of the sin that I'm under? How do I deal with that? How do I ever get out from under sin? People ask that question every day. They feel the guilt. They, they feel the sorrow. They, they feel the judgment, if you will, even from others and wonder how can I ever deal with with this sin. I want to preach this morning, if I can, for just a little bit, on the solution for our sin. Or on how to deal with our sin for a simplistic thought. In the text, if I can, this morning. I'm going to focus on that. I assure you today that you do not have to die in your sins and you don't have to die for your sins. God made a way that we would never have to pay for our sins. We don't have to carry the shame or the weight. Jesus did that when he bore the cross to Calvary. He suffered the shame. He suffered the humility. Stripped down to, to his nakedness, if you will, and was hung there in front of the world to see it, bearing the iniquities of us all so that you wouldn't have to. Sin is a weight that you cannot carry. It's crushing. It's tormenting. That's why in the book, 1 John, he tells us, perfect love casts out fear. And when you've experienced Calvary's love, there is no fear and there is no torment. What a blessing that is. I may not even get to preach what I'm going to preach. You can have this morning absolute joy of the Lord in your life by experiencing God's forgiveness. 
Our context, if you will, just to remember, look at 1 John 1, 9. Just keep it in your mind. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep that in your mind while we backpedal toward it. Notice there's a responsibility, three responsibilities in the text, if you will. Two of them have nothing to do with you. There's the responsibility of Christ in the text. First of all, there's a redemption from your sin. That's not your responsibility. Forgiveness. The first responsibility relies upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the what? The price of your redemption in verse number two. And he is a propitiation for our sins. So there was a price that had to be paid, right? Sin has a penalty and that sin causes you to die. You see around you the evidences, right? How many of you have attended a funeral in the last few years? Right? People are still dying. I mean, sin's still here. What is sin? It's missing the mark, but it's not just missing the mark. That's kind of an open-ended definition many people give. It's missing the mark that God has set. That is what really sin is. And we understand what sin does. Sin is mentioned 27 times in the book that everybody calls the book of love. Okay? 27 times in five little chapters. But in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, the Bible said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So sin this morning is a separator. It separates you from God. If you look at the book of Genesis where the first sin of man was committed, we find that in Genesis 3, Eve partook of the fruit of the tree of of knowledge of good and evil, that they were commanded not to eat. The Bible said, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? God had been walking with him in the cool of the day. God had been fellowshipping with Adam. But when man sinned, that ceased. Where art thou? That doesn't mean God didn't know where he was. That means there was a problem between them now. And Adam even knew there was a problem. That's why Adam's hiding. That's why Adam didn't want to see the face of God. Because he knew and understood that God had said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God command them not touch it. There is a a proclamation to not sin and you have it in your hand. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, God saying, sin not, sin not, sin not. Don't do wrong. Don't, Don't trespass against my laws. Over and over again. So he's making a proclamation against sin. But we understand there was a promise about sin that you will die. There's a penalty that you will have to pay. Now, in Genesis 3, I just want to build this for a second. We understand that there was a promoter of sin. In Genesis 3, the adversary of your soul. And what the Bible says is the accuser of the brethren. 
So when you don't listen to mom and dad and, and when you do wrong and you rebel against them, just like Eve did, rebelled against the things of God, said, I'd rather be my own God because that's what the adversary was telling. God knows in the day that you eat thereof, you'll be as God's. You know, the adversary wants to pervert the truth. That's what he does. He wants to promote you to sin by perverting truth. Well, mom and daddy didn't really mean that. Mom and daddy don't know that. They, don't, they just don't know no better. You, you, you can be your own God. You can do your own thing. Hey, if you want to live a long time on earth, you better obey your mom and daddy. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the first commandment promise. How about that? Vision 6, 1 and 2. We teach our child that. She likes that verse. Amen. Hallelujah. But the adversary wants to manipulate you to thinking what you're doing is not sin. In the context, he's saying, if you say we have no sin, if we say we have not sinned, that's in the context. The adversary wants to make you think you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't sin. You didn't do wrong. Hey, you just keep doing what you're doing. And that's a problem the problem of sin. Most people can't see their sin. But God does. God perceives your sin. And uh, the Bible teaches us he's angry with the wicked every day. He does not enjoy sin. He has no part in sin. But Satan perverts the truth to enslave man to sin, to serve him. But ain't you glad that God had a plan after sin. Hallelujah. In Genesis 3, we, we, we talk about the first mention of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. Talk about he'll crush the serpent's head. They'll bruise his heel. It was referring to him on the cross of Calvary, lifting his heel up on the cross to get air. It's talking about his crucifixion. It's talking about the gospel that Christ would die for the sins of the world and it's pictured in verse number 21 of Genesis 3 how the animal was killed and gave them a coat that would cover up their nakedness would cover up their shame that innocent animal there was no sin besides what was just committed and this animal had not done no wrong this animal had not sinned but God killed that animal and clothed them and covered them up it's a picture of what Jesus would do for you and I how that he who is innocent, pure, undefiled, and holy, Son of God, would come and die on the cross of Calvary that we might have his righteousness given to us to cover up what we are, our evil and sinful nature, so that we could be called, according to the Bible, the sons of God. Because we were by nature the children of wrath. Right? So this is where John is referring to sin. Sin is an awful thing. But I'm thankful there's not just a picture in the book of Genesis. But I'm thankful there is a reality of God's salvation that came to man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text, we see the price that Christ paid so that we could have eternal relationship with God. The Bible says he is the propitiation for our sins. Christ's passion, his shedding of his life's blood, and his death was so powerful that he was able to pay for every sin in this world. Past, present, and future. 
not a sin that it could not atone for. It made the payment that justice, a holy God, demanded justice for sin. So in mercy, he gave his son who was able to satisfy his father. See, there was none other that could do that. It had to be God to fulfill his own law. So God the Son became God the man so that he as a man could fulfill his own law. And God as a man paid for our sin. That's amazing. That is the love of God. That is it. The wages of sin again is death. And someone had to die so Christ vicariously or in our place died for us to pay for it. God provided himself a lamb, did he not? You remember John the Baptist and for John chapter number one, believe verse 29 and verse 36. Verse 29, behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the what? World. John was always consistent with that, wasn't he? For God so loved the world. Somebody help me. Y'all kids know that verse already, I'm sure. So loved the world. Christ died for mankind. Through the propitiation of Christ, we've been given grounds to step into the mercy and grace of God. And that ground is Jesus Christ. So the word propitiation is a fancy word. We'll not deal with all that. But I'll just say it's translated in Hebrews 9, 5 as mercy seat. Okay, I love that. Y'all like that? Y'all know what the mercy seat is? Anybody raise your hand if you know what the mercy seat is? Ark of the Covenant. Y'all know what it is? Raise your hands. Come on across the room. I can't do like him and dance around and wave and do the YMCA or whatever he was doing. All right? The mercy seat. That is the place of propitiation. In Leviticus 16, in your Old Testament of your Bible, you'll find the high priest on the day of atonement, he would bring in the blood sacrifice and he would sprinkle from the east to the west seven times across the mercy seat and then before the mercy seat, what would he do after that? He would step into the blood. He confessed the sins of the nation of Israel to atone for their sin. That's a wonderful picture. Thank God for pictures. But we understand, according to the book of Hebrews, that was not the end for our great high priest. We know in Hebrews 9, verse number 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So what was being done on earth by that physical high priest of the lineage of Aaron was going to be done in a more perfect way by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. And in so doing, he was giving his life so that we might live. But the writer of Hebrews there is referring to the blood sacrifices. And we know without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. If someone did not die, if someone's blood was not shed, you could never be forgiven. You can't be forgiven by your own merit and by your own goodness. Your good outweighing your bad is never going to get you to God. It won't happen. You know how many people I witness to? Well, I just believe I haven't sinned and I don't know when. And I'm like, come on, man, your memory must be really bad. Because I can tell you I got mad yesterday. I, I was not happy. And that's not right. You know? 
sinless perfection is, is a wonderful ideology, but it's just not right until we get a glorified body. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. In Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, but Christ become a high priest of good things to come by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Now what man did? That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood, he entered in once in the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Christ, our high priest, died on the cross of Calvary as a holy sacrifice. Okay, he died once and then the world put away sin. All right? All right, so he shed his blood. Now, I don't know how all this happened, okay, but if God can have a resurrection of all of us and bring our bodies up and all that stuff and glorify them, I think he can get his blood to heaven. Some people don't like that doctrine, and they're out on the West Coast somewhere. I don't like them either, okay? And uh, so the blood, I believe somehow God got it. You know, there's a general resurrection, right? He's going to get the people that died in the ocean, people that died everywhere else. He's going to get all the particles together. He's going to bring them up to the great white throne. How does he do that? He's God. So I think he can get the blood of Jesus and Christ can get his blood. He goes into the mercy seat and he ushers in. He sprinkles that blood from the east to the west. Sprinkles that blood again, steps in. Not for his own sin. High priest on earth had to do that. He had to sprinkle for his own sin first. Jesus didn't have to do that. He was sinless. You were sinful. <laughs> Most of us still are. He steps in and says, it's paid for. Now, I'm going to do my work as their intercessor. And he said, I paid for all of it. And as soon as an individual <laughs> recognizes what he did and gives himself to him in confession, God saves that individual. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that was able to redeem us from our sin, redeem us from the condemnation of sin or that payment of eternal death. Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? That means the work was finished. Jesus don't have to die again. You don't have to do anything to atone for your sin as far as any actions personally that you do. Now, I'm not saying you got a responsibility, and I'm going to get there, preacher. I'm, I'm going to get there. I've got five minutes, I think. You have a responsibility. Christ did not just pay for the sins of a few. He declared to be that Lamb of God that was the sins of the world. I'm thankful this morning the ability and the power of the redemption of Christ is great enough to save the whole world from the beginning to the end. No one's excluded. Your sin's not any worse than anybody in this room, whether you think it is or not, as far as you total it all up. When you talk about Jesus' teachings, if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder in your heart, we've all been guilty of a lot of things that we would never want anybody else to know. Sin. Sin brings forth death. Christ died for all men without distinction. For men, all men without exception. The propitiation, the payment of Christ, again, is powerful unto your salvation. But I won't get to that other responsibility. I'm going to finish because I'm not going to get to the other verses. In verse number nine, 
we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgives our sins and cleanses us from all righteousness. Around that verse, you're going to find general hypothetical statements. If we say, if we say, if we say. Right? Verse, I believe it is number eight. The Bible said, if we say that we have no sin. Okay? If we have no sin. He is talking about an individual who says, I am free from the presence of sin. Are you? Okay? Free from the presence of sin. He continues in verse number eight, and he says, if we say I have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That person is living in pretense. You're believing a fallacy. You're believing a lie if you believe you have no sin. Right? Youngins, y'all understand what I'm saying? First grader, right here. You listening to me? Yeah? You know what a lie is? It's when you don't tell the truth or when you make something up that ain't real. Okay? And when an individual can say, I don't have any sin, making up something that's not real. It's not a reality. We live in a world that tries to make truth based upon the individual's perception, but truth is based upon the facts of the Word of God. Sin. Verse number 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Because <laughs> he said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's the practice of sin, the pretense of sin, the presence of sin. He makes all that around there. And he's saying, you don't know God. You don't know the truth. You're in sin. You're a sinner and you need God. Because in the first three verses of First uh, John chapter number 1, what he's doing, he's giving a witness that Christ came. He was God, but he came a man. But also that he's eternal life. He's the word of life. And you can know him and you have fellowship with God and with Christ and with us. So he's inviting them to have a relationship, a family relationship with God and Christ in the church. He's wanting them to come in. But you gotta admit you're a sinner. You gotta admit you've sinned. You gotta quit believing lies. What's the word confess really mean? Truly means this, is that I have changed my mind and that what God has said about who I am and what I've done is right. I'm taking God's side that he's right, I'm wrong, and I am going to turn away from that sin and I'm going to follow him. That's what he means by confession. It means to admire or declare oneself guilty of what one is accused of. God, I'm guilty and I deserve to die. I deserve the wrath of God, but I'm glad he did not leave them there just that you're guilty and that you're condemned in sin. But he said, hey, I've made a way that you can be forgiven. You can confess your sin and I will forgive you your sin. I'll take away your sin. I'll remove your sin. What the Old Testament would do in the shedding of blood, it would just cover it for a while, but they had to do it every single year. The day of atonement. Then they had to bring their other sacrifices in for the other things that they did personally. But what Jesus did does not cover your sin. It's more like our legal term of expunging. 
okay? When you expunge something off your record, you swipe it clean. It's gone. Not just as far as from the east is from the west. It's not just in a sea of past forgetfulness. It's none of that. God chooses not to remember. God doesn't forget. He chooses not to remember your sin for the sake of his son because his son pleased him. He said he is our advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's what's important, okay? You have responsibility to repentance this morning. You have to repent and turn to God. You have to do that to be saved for your sins to be forgiven. But you can rest assured in the responsibility of Christ to be your advocate when you do. That is, he'll be your heavenly lawyer. The word is parakletos in the Greek. That doesn't mean anything to you, but it does to me. What that simply means is, is that God the Son is the intercessor on your behalf to God the Father, okay? That word has also been used of the Holy Spirit. Y'all know who the Holy Spirit is, right? You want to shout a little bit? You can go ahead and do it. Okay. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'll pray the Father that he sent a comforter. That's the word paraclete. That's when, okay, no, I'm not going there. Anyway, so that means he's an intercessor as well. But the word means he goes to someone on the behalf of another. So many times we think about the Holy Spirit a little bit wrong. But understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is him coming to us on the behalf of God to intercede for God to us. That's in you. So he's the intercessor in you. Jesus Christ is the intercessor for you. He's the only one that could do that because he bought that right. He bought it. Now, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, he's got a responsibility, but I want to assure you of his ability and his availability. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. That means he's in his presence, so he's available. Okay? Then, we understand the word Jesus means what? Jehovah is salvation. It refers to the ministry of Christ on earth and what he did in redemption. Christ means the anointed one, the sent one. That refers to him being the son of God. God being sent. It also talks about anointing. He's got three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Oh, he's got the ability, right? He said the righteous. No one that does not righteous as God is be able to sit with him in his presence. The angels are said to cover up their faces in his presence. Jesus don't do that. He's God. And he's accepted before him. The Bible said we are hid with Christ in God. We are seated in the heavenly places. What? In Christ Jesus. If you want to be accepted by God, accept his son. You'll be accepted by God. Accept His Son. This morning, God gave His Son for your sin, the sinless for the sinful, so that you might be saved. (laughs) That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, confess, shall believe in thine heart that God will raise him from the dead. Thou 
what shalt be saved. This morning, in the same context that we believeth unto righteousness. Why? Because we're believing in the righteous. The righteous. Pastors getting ready to come or whoever's coming. I'm just so privileged this morning to get to preach to you. And I want to thank you for letting me preach to you. There's no greater joy than to preach the gospel. None. But what I would say to you this morning, don't let the adversary tell you that you're okay doing what you're doing. Don't let him pervert truth and say, God ain't going to judge you. No, the Bible says God is, capital J, just. It's who He is. And as such, He will demand payment for your sin. But what a waste of the sacrifice of Christ if you decide, you know what, I'll pay for it myself. When Jesus Himself paid for it. You can be free from sin. We can be free from the power of sin. You don't even have to have any power in your life because Christ is greater than all that. This morning, if you don't know the Lord, He wants to know you. He wants you to be a part of His family. That's why He came. Preacher. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want us to stand our feet all over the building. I want our staff to be aware and alert and attentive at this point. With heads bowed and eyes closed, there may be someone here this morning, maybe a student, maybe a family member. While the preacher was preaching, God spoke to your heart. You say, I'm not sure I'm saved. I think I'm saved. I, I hope I'm saved, but I don't know for sure that I fall into that category that he was preaching about where my sins have been forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven and I don't have that assurance of my salvation he was preaching about and I want you to pray for me would there be anyone here this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed would you just slip your hand up where I can see a preacher pray for me I'm not sure slip your hand up where I can see it I want to pray for you then you can put your hand back down anybody anywhere